Let me pray. Father, we thank you for these words. Will you help silence and chase away any distraction so that you may be heard? And in hearing you, will you give us the means to glorify you? In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is risen. He is risen Thank you, he is. I'm not going to say the Greek because I'm going to fumble. <laughs> but it really is a great and marvelous time to be reflecting as a body of God's people this truth that anchors everything to do with the Christian faith. It's one of the greatest passages of scripture that gives us the reason why we believe what we believe. I want to launch a, a thought into your minds, into your brains as we start and I hope that it will forever be there. Facts are not stated simply for us to marvel at. Facts are stated to elicit a response. Let me repeat that again. Facts are not stated simply for us to marvel at. They are told to elicit a response. In life, over anything that exists, if there is a claim, it must be scrutinized and verified. And if that claim is found to be true, there are serious implications that follow. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an undeniable claim. It has been tried, it has been tested, and it has not been found wanting. And so if it is true, there are serious implications. For the Christian faith, for anybody here who says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the biggest thing about you. In fact, the origin of our Sunday gatherings, many, many, many years ago on that first Sunday, was based on this great discovery of the empty tomb. So, the resurrection is a big, big deal. The resurrection of Jesus is bigger than the birth of Christ. For we all, at some point, are born. Nobody just exists. Though Jesus' birth is quite unique. The resurrection of Jesus is bigger than the death of Jesus, for at some point all must die, though Jesus' own death was quite spectacular. Imagine for a moment countless tombs, the dead roaming the city at the death of such a one as Jesus. Imagine for a moment in noonday sun, the clouds, the heavens being darkened at the death of such one as Jesus. And yet the resurrection stands above both his birth and his death. Teaching about this fact that we're celebrating today is everywhere in the scriptures. But today I just want to focus on two platforms that help us understand why it is such a big deal. 
I want to look at the Gospels, and then I want to look at the passage that was read this morning. In the Gospels, there's something that is quite unique that happens if you take all the events that tell us what happened when Jesus came back from the dead. Even though many, many times he had predicted both his death and his resurrection, the disciples and those very close to him were still very, very shocked by what happened. The four Gospels put together from Matthew 28, 1 to 8, from Mark 16, 1 to 8, from Luke 24, 1 to 10, and John chapter 20, all speak about this event. There's a line that draws all four Gospels in talking about the significance of the resurrection. The line goes something like this. The angel said to the women, the two Marys who went to see the tomb, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. That line permeates the Gospels, the reason why this is such a big deal. It was not just some power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. It was the will, the intent of God from beginning of time to raise Jesus from the dead. It happened because he said it would. So then the angel, after saying that to the, to the Marys gathered, invites them to come and inspect the empty tomb. That is the story from Matthew's account. Mark, the ever-descriptive author, even mentions that the two Marys were having a chit-chat about who would remove the stone. You could imagine it as they walked to the tomb. I'm not going to try and impersonate a woman's voice, but you could imagine. They're busy chatting, there's excitement, there's fear. It's like, what's going to happen? When we get there, who's going to do what? The one Mary says, I don't know, I thought you had the power. The other Mary says, no, I don't. So as they go, as they chit-chat, they get to the tomb, and what do they see? They see that the stone is already rolled away. The angel says the same thing to them as recorded in Matthew. The one you seek is not here. He is risen, just as he said he would. The good Dr. Luke adds his own intel about the fact that it was more than one angel. But the message is the same. In Luke, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee. The angels go on to quote Jesus' own words, how Jesus said, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, must be crucified, on the third day rise. And then finally we get to John, the beloved disciple, the one who has promised many, many things. His rendering of the event is super spicy. If you like hot food, you would love this. And I recommend to you, after your turkey or duck, whatever you're going to eat afterwards, that you read a little bit of John. John. 
Because what he says is worth meditating on, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for as often as we remember the resurrection. John's audience is much, much bigger because there is Peter and John at the scene where it all had happened. And Jesus there in John appears to Mary, though it takes a minute for Mary to recognize him. But that line is still there in John, implying that the resurrection had taken place because Jesus had said it would happen. So that is the evidence from the Gospels. We cannot be in any doubt if we read and scrutinize and check upon it that Jesus' resurrection is no accident. It is happening because Jesus said it would happen. For the rest of our time, I want us to slowly go through 1 Corinthians and see why this is such a a big deal. And in 1 Corinthians, these are some of the reasons why we know that the resurrection is true. According to Paul, the first thing he says is that Jesus died and rose in accordance with the scriptures. And when he says accordance with the scriptures, he's speaking about a whole volume of the Bible. He's going way back before the Gospels. He's saying things that were written in the Psalms by the prophets. It is done, it happened according to the Scriptures. It was a thing that had to happen. Then he says the resurrection is something you can be sure of because it was a fact verified by many eyewitnesses. And so at this point, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus appeared to Peter. Oh, he says here, it's Cephas, we know him as Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. Then to more than 500 witnesses at one time. Then to James, who is Jesus' brother, who believes later on. And then he says, last. And least, he appeared to me, Paul, that is. So it is an event that happens in accordance with the scriptures. It is an event that happens and verified by many eyewitnesses. But if all we did this morning was just to say, yeah, it happened, so what, as Chris asked, then there's no point. If it just facts to marvel at, then our lives don't really change. And so we've got to go deeper into the story and ask the question, well, what does it really mean? What does it mean for you that on a Sunday morning you'd be gathered here singing, listening? What does it mean? The facts are there, but what do the facts mean? If you're sitting here and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the question is, since the resurrection is true, has been proven to be true, has your life changed? Is your life changing? 
because of this great fact. If you're sitting here and you do not yet believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if and since the resurrection is true, do you not think there are serious implications and consequences for not believing such a thing as this? Regardless whether you believe or don't believe, the resurrection demands a response. In the first eight verses of the letter, the gospel and indeed our faith, the Christian faith that is, becomes nothing without the resurrection. That's what Paul is laboring to explain in the letter to the Corinthians. What every believer believes, the gospel about Jesus from the scriptures, hangs on the reliability and authenticity of the resurrection. You and I belonging to God, you and I becoming Christians, being saved, being born again, as many terms that we use, is nothing, doesn't exist if the resurrection is not true. You can't embrace something so big about a man everyone is claiming to have defeated the grave if it didn't happen. Verse 2 of chapter 15, and I paraphrase, Paul goes on to say that it is by going on to believe in the resurrection that we are being saved. So you want to know how you become a Christian? We believe that Jesus is no longer dead. You keep believing that he is alive, and that's how you are being saved. A little later from verse 12, he goes on to say that if the resurrection did not happen, that it's, if it's not a reality, Christians are time wasters. Trying to live holy lives, doing good, is a waste of time. The couple of days I spent trying to prepare for this, I was wasting my time. It has no purpose. There's no meaning. There are other things that one can do than to do that. If the resurrection is not true, then your sins are not forgiven. You sit here and you're condemned. If there's no resurrection, you have no hope. No hope of being reunited to the people you love who claimed that Jesus was alive. No hope in seeing Jesus who defeated the grave. No hope in saying actually God is really, really good. So you see how everything to do with the Christian faith hangs on Jesus being raised to life. And that's what Paul continues to say. But because the resurrection of Jesus did happen, the momentous good news, for many, many years when Chris and I were doing hope training, we used to go through the, one of the, 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 the things we learned was the gospel. And he would often ask the students, now what is the definition of the gospel? Big news, great news. No, it's momentous news. 
And because the resurrection did happen, God continues to save lives. And perhaps even today, God will save lives. Faith becomes a reality. It's not a pie in the sky. It's something that we know is going to be true because already the resurrection is true. It becomes something worth holding and giving all of your life for and to because it is true. Let me read you words from a, a biblical scholar about this big momentous thing called the resurrection. Jesus of Nazareth, if he didn't rise, there would be no gospel, not one account, no letter in the New Testament, no faith, no church, no worship, no prayer in Christendom, because the resurrection is not true. Those things won't exist. But I want to quote my own hero, and I hope that Mike can hold me back from uh, spitting a bar, for those who know, who know what music is, for bars, rap, I see, chosen two nine in the back there, you'll understand, you'll appreciate. But I'm not going to sing it, I'm just going to say a line. This is from Shaidin, one of my favorite hip-hop um, gospel writers. I mean, the guy is just insane, in a good way. <laughs> this is what he says about the untruthfulness of the resurrection, if it didn't happen. No resurrection, Christianity would have never spread. The disciples weren't stupid guys who chose to ruin their lives for choosing to believe what they knew was a lie. That would be beyond ridiculous. Imagine the risen Christ seen by 500 eyewitnesses, each of them taking a stand, reporting what they saw. That is the biggest conviction we can base this reality on. Because if it didn't happen, then what was happening with all these different people who witnessed it? They must have been on some really, really high, high, high drug pursuit. So the resurrection did happen and lives have been changed, and faith is real, and grounded, and hope can live in a world where there's no hope. These men, the disciples, after the death of Jesus, were huddled in some corner in a room, afraid for their lives. The Spirit of the God came. They were given power. They started proclaiming boldness, and many people came to faith. The message was, you killed him, God raised him, we are witnesses. Second thing Paul says about the significance of the resurrection, near the fact that it's point, it's facts, he says it guarantees our glorious future. And you can see this from verses 20 to 26 and 42 to 48, to 58. So keep your, if you've got your Bibles, uh, just run through that, and as I read a few verses again. The resurrection guarantees a glorious future. Here's a question. Who in this room doesn't dream of a better world than what we have? 
Who in this room doesn't dream of the difficult days being done away with? In a world where there is no longer crime, no longer corruption, no longer escom issues. Who in this room doesn't dream of all and every health issue being done away with? The reality is that as we get older, we become slower, we become weaker. Some thinner, some taller on the waist, some frailer. All different kinds of things happen as this body, this physical body, wears and tears. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees us a hope of everything being made new. It tells us that because Jesus rose, there's a glorious future that begins with our own resurrection, that continues as in these verses, Paul describes the kinds of changes that will happen. Jesus, by his resurrection, becomes the first fruit, the first example of what will happen for all who believe in him. Jesus becomes what we hope to be one day and only can be that on that day. In the passage, in this couple of verses, a human language really fails to describe it really what is going on. But it is glorious. See, because Jesus rose from the dead, we don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of what happens when that day comes. Because the resurrection of Jesus defeats death for all dying people, we can face it head on. Scripture already said that it is destined for each one to die and face judgment. But because of the resurrection, those who believe don't have to fear that. Death becomes a mere necessary passage to true living. Paul goes on to even say a three-liner poem where he reads and he mocks death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In verses 42 to 44, he speaks of the glorious changes and I want to just read those verses again. 42, from 15, from verse 42. This is what we can look forward to because of the resurrection of Jesus. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The changes are mind-blowing. It is... Yeah, it is something that when you read, you can't not go wow, and then wow, and then wow some more. 
before I spend time preparing for this passage, the last time I read these words was on the 19th of February. For us, the message, and for many of you, that is a very significant day. It was a Sunday afternoon. Our dear beloved brother George left us to be with the Lord on that day. So reading these words for me again in preparation for today moved me so much because I could imagine that that is where George is. That is what George is experiencing because George believed in a resurrection. And then I started thinking it's not only George, it's Pat Kelly, it's Marius LaRue, it's Barbara Mann, it's Sinjin Simpson, it's Hopi Tumalem Ho, it's Jenny Wickstead. And there are many, many, many people that I know, you know, have died believing in Jesus who will live because Jesus lives. They will be changed. They will be made glorious. We will not be some dismembered bodied uh, spirits like Casper the friendly ghost. We will be changed. The scars from all the hard living will be gone. The tears from all the drift, the difficulties and drama of this life will be wiped away. Only Jesus gets to keep his scars to remind us of the great redemption. Let me end with a final thought about the significance of the resurrection. The resurrection cannot be applied to anyone here today who must not first die. It just remains a fact. But I said at the beginning, facts are not only there to marvel at, they are there to elicit a response. So none of this counts for you if you do not first die. You can't live if you don't first die. Not talking about the physical death, which we all will experience. I'm talking about the kind of death that says, I'm not the master, I'm not the ruler, God is. He's in control, he's in charge, and therefore life is true because I've died to self. I've died to sin. Though we continue stumbling, there's forgiveness, and forgiveness is real because Jesus is real. So if you cannot, and it's a great opportunity just now to be coming to the Lord's table because it's a moment in history that actually reminds us that we've got something to look forward to, but only if we first die. Because if we don't die, we can't live. The reality is that every single person who dies will be raised. But the truth is, not all who will be raised will live with Jesus. Except only those who surrender to him. So, do not let the resurrection simply be a fact to marvel at. Let it be an event that changes your whole life. Father, we pray that you would indeed help us to not think of the glorious facts that we read of in the Bible about you defeating death and walk away unchanged. And those of us who already believe this news, this momentous news, help us to keep living lives that are shaped 
in word, in deed, in thought, in all of our goings, by the power of the resurrection. The life that we are given is to be lived not for ourselves, but for you. Is to be lived proclaiming this message that brought us to this point. But Father, also there are many, and maybe even in this room, certainly in the world, there are many who know these to be facts, and yet they are not convinced, and yet their lives are not changed. So we pray that you would show your kindness, your mercy, in letting this be applied personally to them, in causing them to first die, that they may truly live. It is in your name, for your glory, that we ask. Amen.